Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. reading this morning comes from the third chapter of Luke's gospel. It is uh, Luke's telling us of the ministry of John the Baptist. All the gospel writers speak of his ministry. This is Luke's telling. As we come to these words, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, your word for us is life. Your word for us is home. And so we pray, O God, that that in these few moments, as we read your ancient word, as we reflect on its meaning, that we would hear the, the whisper of your voice, the echo of your truth. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Listen to this. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness, He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked, And we? What should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, 
John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. So in those days, to find John the Baptist, you had to trek out to the wilderness. Despite that inconvenience, John drew some crowds, a strange collection of folks, said there were tax collectors who went out to see him, and soldiers went out to see him, and there were ordinary folk like you and me. They were drawn to him. I wonder why. There's absolutely no evidence that John ever benefited even once from a Stephen ministry course in compassionate caregiving. John begins his sermon to his wilderness congregation by calling them a brood of vipers, you sons of snakes, he says. Think about it. When's the last time you came in here and I called you, you brood of vipers? I mean, it's been months. And he tells them that Jesus is coming with his axe in one hand and the winnowing fork in the other hand, and there's fire everywhere. Not just fire, but unquenchable fire. Just regular fire. It's not good enough for John. It's got to be unquenchable. Makes you wonder, why did people go hear this guy? Why did they bother to trek out into the wilderness to hear some guy who talks to them like this. And then as if Luke wasn't really paying attention to what he was writing down, the very next verse he says, and with many exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. Did you hear good news in there? I don't don't think John was very concerned about making anybody happy. You know, when it says you can't please everybody all the time, I don't think John cared about that at all. I don't think he's concerned about making people happy. But it raises the question, if he wasn't, why did they go hear him? Maybe they weren't looking for happiness. Maybe they were looking for something else, something deeper. On this Sunday where we light the candle of joy, makes me wonder if they needed some joy. And that's why they went to John. I mean, you might be thinking, well, joy and happiness are kind of the same thing, aren't they? I've often thought they were, but in recent times I've been wondering, are they really, or is there something different about joy and happiness? I think so. See if this makes sense to you. Stick with me here. I think happiness is something we find when life goes well. 
when we pass the test, when we finish all of our Christmas shopping, when a friend comes to visit, when we have a delicious meal and get to share it with folks we enjoy having conversation with, these kinds of things and sunsets and getting a glimpse of the neighborhood owl or harvesting a delicious tomato from the garden, all of these can provide a sense of happiness, even a deep sense of satisfaction with life because they're expressions of the blessings of life. They're expressions of the good things in just ordinary life. And when we can notice them, it makes us happy, I think. Happiness is a good thing. But it can also be fragile a bit because, well, there are a lot of experiences in life that aren't good. There are a lot of days that aren't filled with blessing but hardship. Life is a mixed bag, a collection of beauty and brokenness. It, and no matter how hard we may try, life can get derailed at times. Storms come. We just can't be happy all the time. I got up early this morning and was surfing some Facebook posts from Kentucky. Among others, some from Maysville, Kentucky. It's a small river town on the Ohio. First Presbyterian Church is there, or it was. An old historic building, an active church. There's a pile of rubble now. Photos show that just last week they gathered there. Their sanctuary was decorated with trees, and they had a beautiful nativity in the narthex area. And sometime last week they had a congregational dinner where everybody came and sang carols. There were musicians that delighted them. But all that space is just piles now. I don't know what they will do today. Maybe some of them will gather around the rubble and light a candle if they can find one to remind themselves that joy is possible. Maybe it is, but it wouldn't be fair to expect them to be happy. You know, for most of us, there are a lot of happy days. The blessings of life are abundant, and happiness is a frequent companion but none of us can be happy all the time. Life can kick you in the gut. And for me, I don't know how it is for you. I wouldn't be surprised if we're the same in this way. For me, the worst of the worst days are not the days of tragedy that come. The worst of the worst days are the days when I'm the source of the tragedy that comes, when I'm the one who has caused the heartbreak or the disappointment or or the difficulty when I've disappointed those I care about, when I have acted in unloving ways. I hate that. Sometimes the injury of the day is something I've caused, and I want it to be different. And I wonder, do you think that's why folks went out to hear John the Baptist? Do they feel the same way? I, admittedly, John sounds like he's got an anger management problem, but 
I think John is actually a guy of hope, maybe even a profound sense of joy, because John believes that repentance is possible. Now, I know in our modern era, repentance sounds like a harsh word. You know, get your act together. Don't forget that unquenchable fire thing we talked about. But I think even in those wilderness days, repent, it, it meant that change was actually possible. That, that we don't have to be tied all the time to our lesser self. That tomorrow can actually be a new day, not just yesterday lived over again. If I understand it, John says that God has a purpose for you and me a way for us to live in this world. And that when we are faithful to that, it is the source of the deepest joy. To live as God wants us to live will not always make us happy, I don't think, but it could be a source of profound joy. I've shared with you before an interview I heard on television years ago. It, it, it made a profound impact on me. There was a guy named Rod Kaloje. He, he, was on, um, he was on that air flight. I can't remember what airline it was. The air flight that crashed into the Hudson River. You remember that, that time? Rod was a passenger on that plane, and he said when the, when the engines went silent and the plane started falling from the sky, he had two thoughts. He said the first thought was, I'm going to be dead in 30 seconds. And the second thought was, I hope I did what I was supposed to do with my life. I hope I did what I was supposed to do with my life. Do you, do you think there's a way that we are supposed to be in this world? Do you think there's a call from us or from God for us? Are there holy expectations of the day? You know, a, a more common yearning, I think, is I hope I get to do what I want to do with my life. I hope I get to check off the bucket list that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. But I think Rod is asking a deeper question, pointing to a deeper goal. The days are given to us with purpose. And I want to live the day for the reason it's supposed to be lived. I, I, I'm not talking about our call to be a teacher or hairstylist or, or scientist in the lab. I mean the way we are to interact with the world around us. You know, if I understand it, John says, I've got good news because God is sending us an example. You know, when it comes to, to living our life the way we're supposed to, we're kind of hit and miss with it. We get it right sometimes. We get it wrong sometimes. We're inconsistent. We all get a little lost along the way sometimes. We, all of us, we do. We get confused about what really matters and what doesn't matter. And, 
And God, out of mercy, said, I'm going to send you an example. And in the life of Christ, the Spirit of God breathes, and we get to see not only who God is, but we get to see who we are or who at least we're supposed to be. Jesus shows us what life is for. And it's interesting, I don't, I don't know that Jesus was always that happy. I mean, his days were hard. He was constantly surrounded by poor folks and sick folks and folks that the world had forgotten about. And he was constantly getting criticized. Nobody, nobody wants that. He was criticized for who he talked to and criticized for for who he ate with and was told constantly that he wasn't practicing faith the way it was supposed to be practiced. He, like all of us, he couldn't have been happy all the time. But I think he was joyful. It's a deeper disposition, the kind of joy that comes not because life, the circumstances of life are always good because they never are for anyone, not always good but the kind of joy from knowing that he got his life right. Last Sunday, we said that a source of our joy is that we know no matter what happens, we're loved. No matter what the day brings, the love of God will not leave us. The love of God calls you by name, will pursue you, and will never let you go. And that's a source of joy. What John teaches us is that love doesn't stop with us, but it oozes out into the world around us, and, and it, it fills the space between us and neighbors. And when it does, even in hard days, even when the storm has come and blown everything away, there can be a sense of joy It's what John calls us to lean into. He knows we're not going to get it right all the time. We're not going to be perfect, but we can lean into it, into a life of generosity. We can lean into a life of seeing the beautiful in those around us. We can live a life of, at times, deep sacrifice, and at other times, just simple kindness. And it matters. And it becomes a source of joy. I want to share with you, I want to share something with you that I think expresses this joy. Melanie Mendris, she's a friend and she's a member of this family of faith. And she, I'm sure, hasn't been happy every day of her life, but she is a joyful person. And Melanie and her daughter, Meredith, figured out a way to share that joy with a neighbor. And it was captured on national news. Take a look. Opinions vary when it comes to music. One person hears a symphony, another person hears noise. But CBS's Steve Hartman discovered a song that can get a whole neighborhood dancing. Here's tonight's On the Road. Although her dancing days are done, Phyllis Brinkerhoff of Prairie Village, Kansas, says she's not too old to appreciate a sick beat. In fact, Mrs. B, as she's known in the neighborhood, is obsessed with one dance song in particular. It's just a fun, joyous song. 
You put your right arm in. The Hokey Pokey. And you know how when you love a song, you want your friends to love it too? Well, that's why Mrs. B gave her neighbor, Melanie Mendry's, a Hokey Pokey CD and started talking about the song constantly. I can see her name pop up on my phone and I just thought, oh, it's the Hokey Pokey. Hi, this is Phyllis. Mrs. B left uh, dozens of messages. I really do need to talk to you. Urgently pleading her case. CD I gave you, are you hooked on it yet? And I just would always say, not quite yet. Melanie's reluctance baffled Mrs. B. You know, most people don't care really at all for the hokey pokey. Really? Really. I find that very amazing. Do you? <laughs> Still, she knew her crusade was all but lost. <sighs> then one day, Mrs. B happened to mention that her birthday was coming up, her 93rd. And when Melanie heard that, she decided to embrace what she'd been resisting. Or to put it in hokey pokey parlance, she put her whole self in. We made copies of the invitation, we rolled them in little scrolls, and we wrapped ribbons around them and traipsed up and down the street. You put your whole self in, you put your whole self out. It was a hokey pokey flash mob. Shake it all about. The smile on her face was so big. It doesn't take that much to make someone's day. And I think we could all do a little more of it. Because that's what it's all about. Steve Hartman, CBS News, on the road. Sometimes loving the neighbor requires great sacrifice. And sometimes it's just simple kindness, just being willing to tolerate the hokey pokey for a little bit. But it matters. And it's a source of joy. Jesus was betting that even on hard days, we could learn, we could learn to go the second mile, to turn the other cheek, to give and forgive, to take up our own cross. Many days will be happy days for us because there's blessing and it is good to pay attention to that. It's a good thing. But in the hard days, joy is still possible if we remember that we are loved by a holy love that will never let us go. And that love can ooze out of us into the space between us and our neighbors, and it matters. And it can be a profound source of joy because that's what our days are for. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe, help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.